How y'all doing? I'm going to be her translator. She said, how y'all doing? <laughs> All right. So now we got Shelly and Michelle situated from the Black Esquire podcast. We're going to get her mic on in one second here. How y'all doing? All right. <laughs> hey, everybody. Try to get my mic, my mic. Testing, testing. Looks like the mics are live. A little bit, a little bit more. All right. And now... I don't, I don't, oh. We're going to bring up our guest of honor, ladies and gentlemen. And it is a distinct pleasure for me to introduce the guest speaker for today's podcast. Uh, Christia Donaldson is a very good friend of mine. I've actually had her on a panel that I started called League of Superwomen, focused on women entrepreneurs. I remember when this woman was just getting her business started, and I thought, wow, what an incredible story. And to watch her journey over these past several years, if anyone in the audience is an entrepreneur or has watched an entrepreneur struggle through pain, misery, loss of money, loss of family, health issues, you know how much of a challenge it is. And that's why this podcast is so amazing to see that Shelly and Michelle are highlighting so many wonderful people on their podcast. Including uh, him. Uh, I was on. I was on one of them. You know, the it's one early of our one. most listened to it really episodes. Is. Actually, is it you're really? almost it really at 200 is. listens on SoundCloud. You can Google it. Yes, you can Google. it. Or you can just go to Black SoundCloud. Esquire Podcast and check it out. See how many times I can say Black Esquire Podcast in in one taping. But I'm going to get off the stage so we can get on with the actual interview. There's so much I could say about Christia from Thank God It's Natural, but. I'm going to let these two wonderful ladies bring out that story for you guys this afternoon. So, Christia, my good friend, TGIN, founder and CEO extraordinaire, please welcome you to the stage. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for coming. We really appreciate you all taking the time we to geeked. be here on a Saturday. <laughs> we really geeked. <laughs> y'all could have been anywhere else, but you are here with us, and so we really appreciate that. So we want to take this time to thank our sponsors. First of all, Savage Smith. This, this event beautiful space. event space is Savage Smith at 920 North Franklin, if you're tuning in um, on our live stream. Um, we couldn't have asked for a more amazing host. So thank you, guys. I see thank one of the you. team back there. <laughs> I can't, I don't know where Kristoff is, but thank you guys so much for um, hosting us. In addition, we want to thank Koval. Koval is our um, liquor sponsor for the evening. Did you all get your drinks? Did you guys get drinks? They're free. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they're good. So please, please, please peruse and enjoy. And if you haven't gotten one yet, go get one um, and relax. Kick your feet up a little bit. And we want to thank our vendor, Shoulder Bear. Hey. Make sure you check her out. Make sure you check her out. <laughs> Buy black. Um, and finally, Koval Distillery, who also... Um, uh, sponsored our raffle prizes, which you all will um, sort of allow, have the opportunity to hear about a little bit later. So, yeah. 
All right. With that being said, in true Black Esquire podcast fashion, if you are a regular listener, you know that we do a What You Sipping On segment. So, Christia, what are you sipping on? Well, today I'm sipping on Prosecco. So thank yes. you so much. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> so we want to make sure we had your favorite right. in, uh, in the house. And we are sipping on our signature drink, the Magnificent Mule. Thank you, Koval. <laughs> I'm chasing it down with a hard apple cider. Hard apple cider has a new drink, y'all. And it's called rosé. It's a hard apple cider rosé. It's smooth. It's refreshing. It is summery. You should enjoy it. Okay? Try it out. So I had about two of those before I had this. So we'll see how this goes. (laughs) I've been stressed, y'all. This took a lot. Look at this in his face. (laughs) All right, Michelle, so uh, let's get to it. what we're talking about today. All right, all right, we got a good topic today. So as you guys know, today we're discussing um, how to live your best life, but more specifically, we're discussing the black experience in corporate workspaces. So we want to talk about um, the fact that the reality is, is there's a certain culture difference between African Americans or just really minorities in general and some of uh, the people who tend to dominate these workspaces, the non-blacks, the non-colored. Um, they, <laughs> they, um, and as a result, you know, there are certain challenges that we tend to face in these corporate workspaces that uh, aren't really shared by our non-colored friends. So I think the first step in identifying what is a good and healthy, nourishing workspace for you is really identifying what your most authentic self looks like, right? So for me, that a lot of that comes from like family and sort of um, uh, me revisiting home. And sometimes, as we learned on the last podcast, I'm an introvert, so who's very social? I know, right? Surprise! That's how Shelly was. No, she that's was how like, I am too. "Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love climbing to the top of mountains and doing yoga." So by myself, and so. <laughs> No, for real. I climbed the Rockies by myself and did yoga up there. So (laughs) so it's fun. But I guess the point is, so Christia, how have you come to define your authentic self or what moment was there where it was like, okay, you know, like what what was that like for you? Let's let's start the conversation there. So I have been on quite a journey to find my authentic self, but I think Mm -hmm. that journey began when I graduated from Harvard Law School almost 15 years ago. And I was starting work, um, had been by all measures successful in the sense that I went to Harvard undergrad, Harvard for law school. And I thought, well, thank you. Thank you, fam. I thought the world was this meritocracy where you work hard, you get good grades, you kind of make it to the top. (laughs) That is so so noble. Right? Exactly. I was a young, naive, 20 something, 23 year old. And I, exactly. And so I started started working at this law firm and that's kind of the origins of how the company started was my struggle to be okay with who I was as a black woman in the workplace. And what I meant by that is I was transitioning to natural hair. This was back in 2003 before all of the Chris Rock and Facebook and Google Mm -hmm. and Instagram and all these blogs and YouTube videos on natural hair. I was transitioning and 
I lived in a world, and this was before Barack Obama was president as well, and this was before the culture and black Twitter and us lighting everybody on fire for touching our hair with the TSA. It was like a very different world, very conservative, very white. You know, it was very white. Right? And so... One, you couldn't buy products for natural hair. Like you can walk into a Target and buy products for for natural hair. So I was in this conundrum of wanting to wear my hair textured and not feeling like I could because it would be looked at as as not being professional in the workplace. And so I opted to wear a wig on this first job right out of law school while I was trying to figure out how am I going to care for my hair underneath. And it was funny because I look back on that experience. I had some, you know, hiccups along the way. But the notion of having to apologize for who I was naturally as a black woman in corporate America, ultimately, I felt backfired on me in the sense that at the end of my first year review, the head of my practice group was like, we don't think you have what it takes to be successful here as an attorney. And I'm like, okay. So I was crushed. I was devastated. And that was the beginning of me finding my authentic self. But it's interesting because I looked at several of my other girlfriends who were also attorneys who also went to Harvard College, Harvard Law School, and then they would have the same experience at their own law firm. And so I started to realize it didn't matter if I wore this wig or took it off and had like a teeny weeny afro. The system itself was not necessarily designed to elevate and celebrate black excellence. And so once I woke up and open my eyes, I was like, you know what? You only got to tell me once. Oh. And so that was, after that, I was you like, you done told me, me and you ain't got to tell me twice. And I had a plan in the back of my head at the age of like 25 that I was like, you know what? I'm never going to work for anyone again. But guess what? It took me, I guess, a long time to get to that place where I could say, you know, I could be an entrepreneur and be on my own. But yeah, that that experience itself, it just told me, I'm not going to win here. And so I accepted that at a young age, which is kind of crazy. Maybe I should have not been so self-defeatist. Maybe I should have been like, maybe this was just this place. Maybe I'll win somewhere else. I was just like, I don't think I'm going to win here. And so... Can you talk a little bit more about um, that experience, about um, kind of what they did to make you feel like you couldn't be your most authentic self? Um, what I, when I, I heard you speak maybe a couple years ago, and I really resonated with your story because I also left my, uh, was let go actually from my first law school, law firm job, uh-huh. which prompted me into entrepreneurship kind of like you. And I know when I was there, it was like, um, well, we don't think you're going to cut it here for X, Y, Z reason, but yet you were doing good work, but for whatever reason, there was like this unspoken culture that you weren't really fitting into. Right. So can you speak a little bit if that was your So yeah, experience? in terms of like what they did, I don't, in terms of like, like you said, what did they do to kind of make me feel this way? Well, one, this experience and actually running this company and talking to thousands of black women. It didn't really start with them. It started with black folks because we all got people in their family. I mean, I was at home for Mother's Day and somebody said something crazy. I'm not going to say about someone else. And they said, look at her with them nappy headed locks. Okay, guys. Right. I was like, okay. Right. It's 2018. It's not 1994. So the point is it started with our own people and the sense of we weren't woke like 20 years ago. Like we were all about fitting in and 
fitting into their system and being accepted by them and going to work for them and hopefully they promote us to the top. So it really started with our own lack of self-awareness, our own sense of self-esteem. And so I think something changed ultimately, one, with technology, two, with the convergence of technology and Barack Obama being elected. And it's just like our voices were amplified, meaning like you had these micro movements of black people around black beauty, about, you know, black success, around black excellence, around we're going to celebrate ourselves. Like, we don't need you to celebrate us at the Oscars. We don't need you to tell us we're beautiful. It was just kind of like we took ownership over that. And so when you say, well, what did they do to make you feel a certain... That really started, I think, in our community. Now, what they did do is I don't think in a lot of these large law firms they're designed to promote black excellence because everything is about relationships. And sometimes you have a vested interest in promoting people and investing in people who look, talk, sound, and act like you. So it's a little bit an unconscious bias. I don't know. And, and sometimes it's intentional, but it all comes back to it started, like I said, we had our own issues with the community and systematically, like I said, they choose to invest in people who look act, sound, live where they live, that type of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I kind of want to talk about your, you wrote a LinkedIn article mm -hmm. that was excellent about finding your tribe. And so a lot of times we focus on getting a mentor or a sponsor, but your focus in the article was about getting uh, like-minded people on your level. Can you talk a little bit more about that and to how your tribe has helped you? Oh, that's a great thing. So like in corporate spaces, it seems like we're constantly pushed to find a mentor, to find a sponsor, someone who's senior than us, who's going to invest in us and take our careers to the next level. Well, as black people and people of color, that doesn't necessarily come to us that easily. And which is why a lot of institutions try to formalize a mentoring program. They're trying to formalize relationships that don't necessarily happen organically. And so when I looked back on my career, I was like, it was not really a mentor or a sponsor that got me here. It was the people who were at the same level as me, the girls I went to law school with, the people I ran in Chicago with. And when you said give examples, it was just kind of like, I remember when we got um, the opportunity to do business with Target and we were in some type of negotiation and they were asking for an additional percentage. And one of my girlfriends was the one who coached me through it. She didn't have no background in retail. She was a lawyer like me, but like she was like a young 35 year old woman who had no experience with selling to a national retailer. She's like, girl, I don't care what they say. If a white boy was going in there, he would not even put up for this. So he, she was like, you go in there and you don't take that. And I was like, okay, but that was the point. So it's like, there have been several significant moments in my career where the outcome was totally dictated by someone who was just as green as myself. And so, like I said, sometimes we're so focused on chasing or getting in touch with, like, you know, the captain of industry when we're ignoring the person who's down the hall from us who will go to Starbucks for, with us, like, this afternoon. You know, Malik Teal talks about that. So she does this thing every year. She does, like, a uh, retreat. And in that retreat, she's very selective about who she lets go. And the reason why is because she says she wants people to pour into each other. And I think we sort of skip over that. Um, but I do think that there's a certain amount of strategy that you kind of have to implement in picking your friends even then if that's going to be your approach. Mm -hmm. um, Shelly, do you have that experience or not? 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like you have to be almost strategic as to who you're going to work with. Even like me and Michelle, I wouldn't say it was strategic, yeah. but it was very um, <laughs> organic how we got to work together. It's mm-hmm. like uh, we met, uh, I don't know if you all heard our story of the very first podcast that we did, but we started working together with CCBA and we just clicked and we vibed and we would like the same things. And so we both work hard, though. We both really work hard. She- we have the same work ethic. <laughs> and so uh, when she came to me with the opportunity to do this podcast, I was like, yeah, let's do it or whatever. So it was just having like-minded people and keeping people like uh, Michelle in my corner. So when I'm having a bad day um, on my job, I can call Michelle. Michelle Let me bounce this off you, girl. (laughs) Michelle calls me to bounce stuff off of me, what's going on with her job, and I'll give her my honest assessment. And so um, just trying to keep your tribe together and and figuring out who it is you're going to have in your corner. Um, But sometimes there's um, more strategy. Like I said, we were more organic, but yes. sometimes there's a strategy. Have you found that you've had you've done like a strategy to kind of build your tribe, or, I think, or how do you build? Your no, that's fine. I think my tribe has been really organic. It's kind of um, the issue isn't about finding people to be in the tribe. It's about there should be more strategic. I need to be more strategic about who to kick out of the tribe. <laughs> Meaning <laughs> that's real. No, I'm serious because I'm a big giver. Right? I'm such it's like we can hard. all collect girlfriends or people who seem like they're in our corner but what we do have a hard time is is letting go of the people that we know don't have our best exactly we it's more we need to be more strategic harder than like romantic i think so too i think so too right you're right you're like (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think i've got to be more strategic about who gets kicked out of the tribe I had a meeting with my business coach and I found that the relationship I have with objects, whether it's Amazon boxes, papers, because we are lawyers, <laughs> lawyers hold on to paper more long we than really we need do. to. Do and it's friend, yeah, because know, we're I like, I'm a hoarder. We're, we're, we're hoarders because we're like, I need, I might need this. Guilty. It's like your, your, your security, if you will. And then I found out I have that same relationship with individuals. And it's like, I think you have to, if you're going to get to the next level, build this tribe. You got to be willing to um, prune the things that are not going to serve you, the people who are really not there for you. And I think that's something we have a hard time doing. I, I know I do personally. Very much so. Very much so. Are we harder on our girlfriends than we are our male friends? Yeah, I think so. Of course we are. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm an equal opportunity getting your answer. So, <laughs> But it's always easier for the guys to come back. For some of us. You, you know, that sounds like a personal problem. Yeah. <laughs> In other news, though, we're going to move along because we don't want to spill anybody's tea too hot. Um, so, um, so another topic that I think that us African-Americans don't talk about. So um, one of the tips that I gave out, so every week we do these little tips, these little live tips on our little Facebook live group and stuff. And I was talking about like how to get a raise and how you got to be um, sort of prepared for the actual raise. Like you have to have proven your value before you're asking for a raise, right? So um, let's talk about books of business. Um, <laughs> I want to know how you guys go about, because you two build clients. I don't. Um, my clients are in jail. Um, so... <laughs> They just come. They, there's an abundance. Um, so how do you guys go about building business, but specifically among your either friends or like your social circle? Because I find that for African-Americans, that's a challenge. Whereas for our non-black peers, 
there tends to be a little bit more of that. Like they, they're a little bit more eager to do business with each other, whereas we uh, sort of are apprehensive. So how do you guys go about, since we're talking about tribes, since we're talking about those things, those should be people you can do business with. So how do you find that? Yeah. <laughs> not, the, not the long sip. Did I really? Was it difficult? Is it that difficult? No, I won't say that. Um, when I first started uh, my business, I started, I wouldn't say with friends, but I started off with people that I already knew, which were people that looked like me. Um, so I'm going to, I'll keep it real. So I had it's a, a safe space. It's a safe space. So it's still a safe I, space. I know there's people in the audience staring at you right now. But it's a safe space. It's a safe space. So, Come on. Um, spill the tea. What I, what I will find is um, when I when I first <laughs> got started, it, it was very difficult being taken seriously by people that that knew me already. You know, they want to uh, get a discount or a hookup of some sort, or they want to use your services for as long and, and or I'll pay you in about 30 days or whatever. And so uh, that was kind of my experience when I first got started. And so uh, what I ended up having to do was diversifying my uh, circle. So not saying that there's anything wrong with doing business with people that look like you, um, but I had to go with people who didn't know me already. <laughs> so uh, people who um, I could just build a relationship with, and they knew me as Shelly, the business person, not as Shelly, oh, that's my friend, that's Shelly, or I just know her from around the way or whatever. And so um, that's kind of how I was able to uh, build my business and get uh, get clients who would pay my actual rates and pay me on time. <laughs> things of that nature. I don't know what your experience was. Well, with us, it's like, if, if you want to talk about kind of doing business with other black businesses, I can speak to that. Like, I'm always looking to see if we can support our own. And even though we have a diverse company, um, meaning there are white women that work there, there are black women that work there, there are Latino women that work there, I am unapologetic about my support for my community. And so... In working with black businesses, you know, sometimes we have a stigma, if you will, but what I always look for is excellence. And so my thing is, if I'm catering an event, don't show up with styrofoam plates because I'm going to give you the side eye and I'm not going to use you again. So the point is, I'm like, but then that should be a lesson to me to be like, you know what, bruh, next time you do an event, you need to come with the crystal, the little like the china, yes. the like the Don't clear do place. Dirty. Don't do me like family <laughs> reunion when we're having like, I'm having an event, sir, a corporate event. event. This is not my family <laughs> reunion <laughs> picnic, right? And so, you know, using it as an opportunity to sew back into our businesses. But I do, I do take pride in the fact that we do look for black photographers. We do look for black people to be on our marketing team and to support us, whether it's with PR services, copywriting services, um, any, any way in which we can. But the point is they have to competitively be the best. Like I'm not going to just go with the black business just to be going with the black business. I'm like, your game needs to be a plus hey. <laughs> because you ain't going to be here long if it's not. And so that's the kind of that's the kind of messaging I put around kind of who we do business with and how I want my business to be perceived as well. Um, I want to go back to the, the building relationships, not necessarily with your tribe, but um, with other people that are potential clients or 
um, just strategic partners that will actually help you uh, grow your business. What are your um, tips or strategies for building and maintaining those relationships? Um, I know uh, Michelle mentioned my league. I know a lot of times she mentions, um, you know, sending them uh, bouquets of flowers if something happens uh, in their lives as like a hey reminder that hey I'm still here. Do you have any types of uh, ways that you like to stay in touch with people? And build those relationships? Well, I think that's a really great question because one, I think it has to be authentic and it has to be you, your personality. And for me, it's hard to be super intentional about building relationships that are going to help me in the long term when I'm super, super, super busy. But what I do try to do um, is keep a list of people in an Excel sheet that I refer to from time to time and just drop them an email, sending them an update on how the company's doing, how I'm doing, and seeing how they're doing. Like I, back in the day, I was much more, maybe like like two years ago, I was much more intentional about, okay, I should go to lunch, I can go to coffee, but like as our team has grown and you know as the company continues to scale, it gets harder to do that. But the main thing I do at this point is just like kind of email check-ins just to say, hey, thinking of you or even a text message, like something is better than nothing. It doesn't have to necessarily be a grandiose gesture. Some, it doesn't have to necessarily be like, okay, we're having the catch-up lunch. Sometimes it's just a text message. Hey, things are not, well, you don't want to keep saying things are crazy, but hey, I just want to check in on you. Uh, I'm hoping we can get together soon period. Like it can be, it, sometimes it's the little things. And what I will say for other people who have checked in with me, that handwritten note yep. makes a I difference. Just about to say that. It's like, I try to do them sometimes. I actually got stationary specifically for reaching out to people with my name on it, like from, I think, paper source. And that little bit of handwritten note, it doesn't have to be a bottle of vub. Some people, you might drop the bottle of vub or you might drop the bouquet, but that little handwritten note is like, like, LaForce gave me the handwritten note at the Walmart launch, and it was like, I kept it. It's like, I keep those little notes. Those little notes show so much. It's like, it's personal. It's like, it's authentic. It's humanity. It's just like, and that's just the way I receive them. I like the handwritten note. I love that. I love that. One thing that I found that's been very effective um, and isn't as time consuming as actually going to lunch or dinner with someone to catch up is just making introductions. So a lot of times you meet so many people around the way. Uh, and so one of the best things you can do is be a connector and say, hey, you should meet Christia. She has this great um, hair care company. I think you all will really hit it off. And then but that way you're kind of known as uh, the, the bridge and they'll they'll both remember you. So that's oh, really yeah. a good way of maintaining relationships. I offer value. I just offer any value, whether that be, so usually it's either sharing an article or uh, event. Um, that I think would be of value to them, depending upon whatever our conversation sort of circled around at that time. And sort of, um, and usually I'll say, hey, um, I'm organizing this event, I'll comp you a ticket, and we can catch up there. Um, just because I'm always in the event space. So that works for me. And then I'll just say this, I think I'm a few years older than the both of you, but what I've <laughs> learned, particularly for your listeners who are still working in corporate America or in law firms, like in the beginning of your career, like hard work is super important. But like on the back end or the middle of your career, relationships are everything. I mean, relationships are everything in, in general, but in the beginning, you're just establishing yourself. And so I have an analogy. I'm like, hard work is like a savings account 
that generates like 2% interest. Like, but relationships are like the S&P 500. It's yes. like, literally, it's like, it. it's like, it's like, it's like a long game. You get what I'm saying? Like, so hard work is only go move the needle so much. You got to put it in, but you really got to invest in your stocks. But and you do have to pay You got to diversify. You got to be like, I'm going to be over here, over here. But the relationships literally are your, your S&P 500. It's like, the game is long, but the returns are high. And I think I think part of a part of hard work is building the relationship. I think building relationships is hard work, and I think people want it to just be instant. But I don't think black women and I. Some people might be like, "I'm being stereotypical. I'm basing this on my friends." I don't think we put enough emphasis on the relationships. I feel like we are so focused on proving ourselves sometimes in corporate America that we're like, I'm going to get it done. It's going to be perfect. You know, whatever we focus in, because the thing about it is I look at my girlfriends, I know they tight. You know what I'm yes. saying? But it's like this white boy down the hall, he ain't doing no work, but he in everybody's office so all day long, chopping it up. And your so girlfriend, girl, homegirl over here with her door closed, working on the brief, yes. it's perfect. But yes. he just over here doing a little mediocre work, but he's like friends with everybody. That's and true. we're not, we're, we're, we're not doing that. But what is so that though? I think for me, I know that it's because, well, okay, so a little background. Some of y'all know, some of y'all don't know. I went to Spelman. Shout outs to them. Woo woo! And I love Spelman and I love the things that it taught me, but some of the experiences there sort of forced me to network okay. and forced me to grow in that way, but it also made me very comfortable with networking with other fantastic, amazingly talented black women, mm -hmm. not necessarily white people. So um, I'm just going to. Go ahead and put that, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there, um, that sometimes the culture is so different. And I'm, and I'm wondering, since we're talking about navigating these spaces that are typically predominantly white, how do you, if you're a person who does not particularly have um, the cultural or does not feel like you have the cultural capital to sort of, um, if you struggle with relationships with people who don't look like you, do you, is there, are there any things that you've done? So I'm going to say, I'm going to start here. Here's what I've done. So <laughs> I watch only in white movies. Like I, I watch a lot of black and white movies, okay. a lot of Audrey Hepburn, a lot of, <laughs> and I try to understand sort of the culture more so than anything. What are the representations? What's going on? Right. And then I also just step outside of the box and just start talking and just be myself in the space. And I find myself being accepted in that way. And that's been effective for me. Um, I don't know that that's everybody's experience, though. I feel like some people feel like they get burned when they're just themselves. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like... Shout out to good you. friends who bring Yay! you more drinks. <laughs> drinks on me, Kettering. Would you, would you mind giving me a review? I don't think it's necessarily about uh, whether you had, whether you've uh, been in a culture where you're used to being around a lot of white people. I went to a predominantly white uh, college um, in undergrad, so I was very comfortable with white people. I'm being real. So with white people. And so when I was at work, it wasn't that I didn't know how to interact with them. I just didn't know the game. I didn't know the that game, you were though. supposed to try to build those relationships. I was like Christina said, I was that the, the girl with my office clothes just doing the work because I thought that was what's, what was important. Not that I was supposed to be uh, kikiing with my boss 
in the hall, you know, trying to go to lunch or go to happy hours or whatnot. So I didn't know the game. So I think that's really the difference. It's not really whether you're comfortable around them, but just knowing how to play the game and how to build those relationships. Or know, and knowing anyway, they don't have to be your best friend. Really, they don't have to be your best friend or even just knowing that relationships are important, like you said. And then I think historically, and again, sweeping generalization about black people, sorry, I apologize in advance, but like we come from a community of people where say we are, a majority of us are new to this game, new to these spaces. So you're getting advice from your parents and grandparents who are like, you have to work twice as hard to be happy. That is good. So true. They ain't talking about no <laughs> happy hour. Part. they like, you gotta be twice as hard, work as twice Eli, as hard Pope. to be happy as good. So that's the only advice. So a majority of black people who are at, in the situation where they have the privilege of being in these spaces in this day and age, they're coming to these spaces with the advice that the only thing that matters is how hard I work. Mm -hmm. So when you ask, why are we not good at this? I think it goes back to that persistent refrain that we mm -hmm. have had ingrained in us. But in terms of how I think I've managed to do it, one, I've been unapologetic about myself. I don't, I don't right. cold switch. I don't switch it up. Really? I don't, I don't do that the. That back. I don't change me. my voice. But I'm Christy from Detroit, Seven Mile. Went to Harvard me. twice. I ain't gotta apologize. I'm here. That what? backfired on me, though, right? real bad. So the point is, what I did learn at Harvard, though, um, from a relationship perspective and networking with white people, is like, I learned the game in the sense of, I didn't learn the part about it, the world not being a meritocracy, but what I did learn when I got to these spaces is that they're judging you and evaluating who you are and where you come from out the gate, but they're not going to be like, so where did, they'll be like, so they'll get to, they'll try to, they try to understand why you're here and should I associate with you? So it's little things like, so where are you going on vacation? Where did you grow up? Like, so it's like when you can tell, you know, or, or understanding if they say they're going skiing and you're asking like, oh, where? Oh, I've been there. Then they're making these little mental connections That's based true. on mm -hmm. where That's you've true. been, where you went to school, like what type of food you eat. Do you know about these wines? Like, it's never like, oh, you know, like it's never like this formal thing, but it's like this informal kind of evaluation process that's always, you can see it in the back of their hair. And they even do it to each other. They, they don't just do, do it to so black sure. folks. So how'd they you get this it. job? Yeah, exactly. How'd you hear about this job? Yeah, they, they do it to each other. They're, and black people are more direct. They're more indirect. So black people are just, you know, we're more straight up. We're more authentic. We're more like... Transparent. Yes. And they're more like... Passive aggressive. Passive aggressive. I'm going to take the back door. Subtle. Yeah, that type of thing. And so even within my own company, I see the differences between some of the black women that work there and some of the white women that work there. If they're listening, okay, I'm telling you guys this. I see this difference. It's true. Meaning the, with the, the, I'm a company now where it's like I used to work in corporate America, but at TGIN, I don't have time for all the little passive aggressive games. I don't <laughs> have time so for real. the, we get on a call and you're like, so what are your thoughts? But I know in your head, you want to tell me, just tell me. I don't have time for this. I'm too busy for these little, this little bit of trickery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, I like being able to work at a company where it's just like, we can get down to business. It is what it is. We're like, somebody just text me. So-and-so is canceled. Okay. It's not like this whole, we have a meeting. So what did you think about how the event went right. <laughs> on Saturday? No, I they're was canceled. Thinking, it's just like, so-and-so is canceled. We ain't hiring them no more. Okay, got the memo. <laughs> 
You know what I'm saying? It's not all of this. But as black people, can we stop canceling everybody? We we canceling everybody. So I like being in a space where, you know, that is celebrated, where women are. And one one other thing, this is a generalization, but what I've seen is that um, what I've seen about black women, we're more comfortable taking charge, making decisions, being like, I don't know why that is. But it's something about us. And I think when we're in their spaces, people are threatened by that. In, in, a, in a black-owned company, I think there's a huge value in being around women who are like, you know what, I can make a decision. I'm not scared of getting it wrong. Like, I feel like we're fearless. Like, ama- I mean, just amazing in general. When you take someone who's already at the top of their game and they can get it done and they're not scared to make a mistake and they're comfortable making decisions, we have a certain confidence. Mm-hmm. about ourselves and mm-hmm. like I said I don't think those spaces large law firms in particular I don't think we're rewarded for that confidence I think that confidence is more of a liability than an asset absolutely, absolutely. I agree with that wholeheartedly child I think <laughs> because part of that is they don't want they're not looking for um, individuals they're looking for soldiers yeah worker bees they don't, they don't want you to be your authentic self. They don't want you to, they want you to kind of blend in and blend in with the furniture and whatnot. So you can't really be all that you, you are, are there. You are out because you want Exactly. <laughs> and you got curves. You got the audacity. You got this big old hair coming up in here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I like to say, sweeping generalizations, but like I said, our confidence, and not all of us are confident, but for the most part, we're confident, more collective. Confident. Or our and confidence I don't think that's different. considered to be an asset. I think, you know, the meekness, like people feel more inclined to invest in the people who are a little bit more meek because it reminds them maybe of, of someone. Of when themse- they first yeah. got there, they yeah. all green. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to remind you of that person. Yeah. You didn't even so like that person. A strong. I'm really. No, no, I want to hear really from the petty. audience. Are we on? Are we hitting the notes? Are we off? Like, <laughs> are we hitting the notes, or is this just not? Like, Let I mean, I don't want to come death. with the sweeping generalizations, but like I said, the main thing is I think we're strong, and like I said, I think we have been told we've had to work twice as hard to be viewed as half as good. I thought that was kind of across the board, but maybe that's not everyone's experience. No, that's true. Yeah, Definitely. Sure. Got the got the Eli Pope experience. They got that speech many a times, you know. Yeah. Well, you just can't do what they do. So right. anyway. But speaking of working hard, so we are, we work hard, but we like to play hard oh, as yeah. well, which is why we throw in this live tape and we've got DJ Double M who is going to hit the ones and twos once we get done chatting and running our mouths like we do. But um, we want to talk about maintaining balance. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you do to sort of, what are the, okay, so we know, so I know because I know LaForce um, that you run. I so. used to. You Have used you to? Okay. Oh, man. Oh. Oh. I'm walking. I'm a walker. I'm a walker. Oh, okay. one of those little power walkers. Oh, my God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> So, um, I'm a runner as well. And so for me, um, and Shelly actually posted this in our fellowship, our closed group fellowship plug that, um, everybody should join on Facebook. You should join the fellowship. It's a closed group on Facebook. You can come and it's called the fellowship. It's connected to our page, the black Esquire podcast. Just join the group. I'll accept you and everything. And we'll chat about, we chat about, it is amazing. We talk chat about everything from money to politics to Everything about it's called the fellowship, so join in. But anyway, 
so yeah, so Shelly posted in there and nobody responded about creative ways to how to figure out how to balance and keep from all this stress sort of overbearing who you are because you still have to maintain your authentic self to be your best authentic self. So like, what type of creative ways do you guys do it? I've already talked about my little hiking journey. So what do you guys do? Well, I work out, I also run. So, well, when it's warm. Wait, first of all, how old are you both? Nope, not doing it. Okay, okay. You be running in your 20s. You be walking in your 30s. In your 20s, you be out there like, tripping. You are tripping, tripping, tripping. I know I had a couple dreams, but you ain't going to get me like that. Okay, okay. Okay. Y'all look good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You do too, you do too. I run. So, yeah, I do run, and I like yoga. So that's like my little release. Let your body do that yoga. Y'all like that song? I love that song. Everybody was hating on Janelle Monet for that song because she talks about twerking your booty in that song. song. You're supposed to be positive and woke. I mean, positive and woke people have booties too. Right? (laughs) Just saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) So, what do you do? So, I run, I do yoga. So, um, I walk. But, like I said, okay, when I I was running back in the day, I probably fell off the wagon this year, but well, for me, working out starts to feel like a job. And so I do it because you gotta, you gotta look a certain way or look whatever. So that became a job. That snatched. wasn't like, uh, oh my God, I feel, I felt better afterwards and I've realized mm-hmm. that I'm less intense after doing, but it's not something that I necessarily look forward to. It's just kind of one of those things Aww. that you have to do. So what else do I do? I like to light candles. Um, oh, I love that too. I the like grand dross and little pretty right? tinted grass. I smoke a little bit. My shit is legal because Uh-oh. of my breast cancer, so I carry oh, the car, y'all. Look I, at yeah. that. I'm, oh, I'm, just, I'm dabbling in that, so I'm experimenting in that for just relaxation. So you know, is, they, we got that in Illinois, so she's not she's not fibbing, guys. <laughs> so yeah, I dabble in that a little bit for relaxation. Um, and then I think I've tried to be conscious. So today, like back in the day, I used to work seven days a week, like like all the time. And today is one of those days where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to do anything. You know, I usually work on Sunday is supposed to be the day of rest. But like usually I catch up on Sunday, get myself ready for the week. Shelly does that day of rest thing. Yeah, too. So cool. I do a day of rest. wonders. I do a day of rest. And then I'm, I've Maybe gotten what? back into cooking. And then one other thing that I started to do recently, I went for a procedure. If you went, I was talking to the nutritionist and the one thing she told me is that she drinks a lot of water in the morning. And so what I started doing is that in addition to working out in the morning is that now I make myself drink two bottles of water in the morning. And sometimes I put mint in there and sometimes I put cilantro. And what I find is that because because basically once you get in your day, we all want to drink water, but once you get in your day, it's just hard because you're just like all over the place. But she was basically like, if you make yourself do it in the morning, it becomes this kind of, it forces you to slow down versus just getting yeah. up and go. It's like, okay, I'm drinking this water, but literally I don't have, you know what I'm saying? Because it takes you a good, it takes a while to drink two bottles of water. It takes it really like 15. Like you got to stand there. Yeah. It takes about 15, it could take you like 15 minutes to like really like drink two yeah. bottles of water. And so I started doing that and I was just like, this is really a way of making sure it's 
saying to myself, no matter what happens, once I walk out that door, I put myself first. And so I like, I like doing it. And so it's an easy way to just put yourself first and take care of yourself at the same time. That's a good point. (laughs) That's absolutely right. That's a real good point. For me, I think the most creative way that I um, tend to do some t- or engage in some type of self-care, I actually like, I love going on these random retreats with all these black people. I love it. So at? there's this organization called Girl Trek. Okay. And Girl Trek, okay, so that's who I climb the Rockies with. Um, Girl Trek does like a retreat. It's called the Stress Protest. Um, it's really dope. It's like three days in the Colorado Rockies. There's a YMCA near the Colorado Rockies and they have like these nice little cabins and things like that. So it was camping, but it wasn't really camping because I've been real camping before and that wasn't real camping. They didn't build no tents. They didn't strike no fires. Well, we did a bonfire, but the, you know, the YMCA people did it. It wasn't the same. But anyway, my point is, it was a lot of fun and it's accessible. So I do things like that, or I've been trying to get on my leaks retreat, but she's so exclusive. I'm like, girl, you blowing up. You got to chill so I can get in this little line. You know. Let, you me, know? let me tell you a story. So for the, the Colorado Rockies one, is that an all black woman's woman or no? Yes. Okay, cool. So I'll check. That's Girl Trek? Yes. So one quick story, because I love getting away. I probably take more vacations than any person you know. Like Turn I'm constantly up. Live on your best life. vacation. <laughs> they, they tell me they're going to Paris. I was like, okay, I just got back from Paris. They're like, no, you guys are going to Italy. <laughs> Italy. I was like, I was in Italy, but that wasn't on social <laughs> media. There are some trips that I have to leave off of social media because our vendors would be like, this girl don't do no work. <laughs> but let me tell you this. When I went to Bali um, the first time to go find myself, and the last day, I, this podcast is getting out of control. But this person, <laughs> thank you. Thank the you. point is, I Keep go to Bali, real. and I tell people on the last day of my trip there, I go meet with a reader, and she was total BS, right? But the one thing she told me at the end, I was like, you know, because I went there after breast cancer to kind of like really hit the reset button. And she was like, look. Because I was like, I might just need to move to Bali because I need to get away. Like, the Chicago situation, my life is a tornado. And what she told me, she's like, it's not about going to Bali. It's about finding the Bali within. So a Ooh, lot of times, we're always, and I'm, I'm going to come on this retreat. Somebody's going to be like, you, take, you don't need to go on another trip. But now I'm about to look into this. But the point is, we need to work on making our everyday life, whether it's in Chicago in our little one-bedroom apartment or two-bedroom condo or whatever, feel like the places that we keep running off to seeking the soul is from. We need to bring, we need to be intentional about finding a way to find that peace within, within our home, within ourselves. Because it's like, She's like, you can move here, but if you don't fix whatever is causing you, you to just go run in and it's gonna follow Vietnam you. to Singapore to Bali to whatever, you gonna be running, you gonna be here and going somewhere else. So the point is, we gotta we gotta find a way to make sure we find the Bali, like I said, within. Yeah. So for that. me, it's at the top of every single mountain I've ever climbed. <laughs> so let's do that. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. So I want to get through some of the hard-hitting things that we really wanted to talk about. Um, so what is the, the hard-hitting things? We haven't talked about the hard-hitting things, <laughs> right? Well, you know, we are attorneys by trade. <laughs> we dig, and we dig, and this then we the dig a little up. bit more. <laughs> so, um, so the thing is, is I found that 
in different spaces, there's a certain toolkit you got to have. There's in every, a certain what? There's toolkit. a certain toolkit you've got to have in every space. So for you, you're in a lot of corporate spaces. Mm -hmm. And I want our uh, listeners and um, participants here to understand sort of what, okay, so in the C-suite specifically, so in a boardroom type situation, what are the sort of tools that you think are sort of universal for that space that people need to sort of maybe either work on building if they want to, I don't know, be on a board or YMCA or something like that? What do you look, how about this? Let me ask you one. I'll do you one better. What do you look for in board members for TGIN? Okay, so give me example one thing in in the toolkit, and then I okay. can expand upon it. Okay, so for me, I think in, if you're going to be a good attorney, like a good one, in your toolkit needs to be an excellent uh, understanding of your writing skill. Mm -hmm. um, an excellent communication skill in some way, shape, form, or fashion. If it's just oral, you need to know that. And if it's just written, you need to know that. And you need to work on the other one. <laughs> and so for me, that's, that's part of my, when people ask me, oh, I want to be an attorney, I tell them, take your English class seriously and um, get practice writing. Start writing for some magazines, start doing some writing because you're going to learn a whole different language when you get to law school. So that's okay. part of the toolkit. You see what I'm saying? So I think when you get to the C-suite or even as you're arising there, to expand on the writing thing, I can give you an example. There was a girl who worked for me and her writing was garbage. 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 <laughs> And she had great hustle. She was, you know, street smart. She wasn't college educated, which doesn't matter. But I sent her to a writing class, right? Go. And I, I worked with like her. Christine. And it's like now her writing has done a 180. So the point is you have to consistently seek out those resources. Like you said, writing, written and verbal communication skills are extremely important no matter where you are. Because guess what? People are going to judge how smart you are and your ability to get the job done based on how you speak and how you write. So you oh, can sure. be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if your writing is garbage, no one's gonna give you a shot. And so she, I was like, I don't want you to keep getting passed over because you just can't communicate an email. So no take emojis. a, so, well, no emoji. Well, emojis, now I'm learning emojis. I'm learning emojis in business. I'm, I'm communicating in the DMs with customers and emojis. They like it. I'm doing. I think you have to have that relationship first. Right. You, you got to start off with emojis. Let them do it first. Once they do it, when they hit you with the smiley face at the end, like we have a master admin. She sends, she sends emojis all the time. She always sends, but she she sends a smiley face at the end of things, but we had to work up to that space. So then I will say, in addition to written and verbal communication skills, I think there needs to be a sense of self-awareness. And for me as a CEO um, who participates in a CEO group, I have one-on-one -on -one coaching. And this person helps me reflect on why I make the decisions I do and how where I'm weak in in certain areas. So I don't know what how that translates for other individuals who are not CEOs, right. but you gotta have a way of checking in with people outside of yourself to really understand your weaknesses so and your blind spots. So I will say that's number two. Three, the ability to make decisions. Four, the ability to take responsibility for your mistakes or just take responsibility in general. My issue with people and within my organization, I'm like, I'd rather you make a move and make a mistake than not make a move at all. And so you've got to be fearless to get to the C-suite. You've got to be willing to take risk 
and make mistakes and not only make mistakes, but say, this is how I'm going to fix, own your mistakes and then say, this is how I'm going to fix my mistake because that's, that's what makes you a great leader. And so those would be kind of the things that I would say in the toolkit. But like I said, we both agree on the communication skills, but the self-awareness piece, whether you check in with a peer, it may not be a business coach. It may just be girl. I really want to just come to you, Shelly, and be like, I know you're my girlfriend, but what can I be, what can I do differently to be a better professional just based on what you see and just tell me the truth? Because a lot of times people see things, but they're just not going to tell you. And that's what holds us back in particular in these spaces is no one's telling us the areas that we're weak in. They're, they're so getting true. the coaching, the training, the development from their peers as well as their superiors, we're not getting that. So we may need to go to our, our tribe, as we talked about earlier, and just be like, girl, you need to tell me, what do I need to be doing? And be open and receptive to the feedback. That's the other part. So don't, don't shoot the messenger. Right. <laughs> you know, when they're just trying to keep it real with you. So I, I think but, that a lot of times, that's why people don't keep it real, because they don't want you, you know, chewing off their head. I'll for, say, I'll say one other thing. When I was in Impact, we did an exercise. It's called Feed Forward because we're used to feedback where someone sits you down and be like, I want to tell you how you can improve and be better. The Feed Forward is being proactive and saying, hey, can I sit down with you and just talk about how I can do better on this job or what can I do better to become a better lawyer? Or what is your impression of me as a professional? We had a girlfriend, girl, that was a feedback situation, not a feed for one, where it was like, she was constantly posting crazy things to social media. We Stop were like it. trying to save her. I was throwing her whatever that little circle thing is you give people when they're drowning. <laughs> a stranger, a life vest. A life vest and, and a lifesaver. You put a life preserver. Yeah. Yes, a life preserver. I was throwing her a life vest and a life preserver. I'm like, girl. I don't normally do this, but you need to stop. Stop it. You need to stop. You need to stop right now. And she didn't take it well. But the point is, it was like, I felt you like. needed to know, boo. I wasn't your friend if I didn't tell you. So like you said, don't shoot them. Shoot my ass. You know, I want you, I'd rather, if I'm going to call myself your friend, I'd rather you shoot me and us not be friends anymore versus me seeing you out there looking crazy. Right. I love that. And I also think, though, okay, so I wanted to circle back to one piece that I think uh, as black people we don't really do is um, we talk about taking responsibility, but we don't talk take responsibility. We will let someone else take responsibility for the things that we brought to some company or some organization. And we have a very service-oriented mindset, which is great in its own right and in its own space. But we have to be realistic about the fact that if we are not making money, we cannot help anyone else. And yeah. so for me... It is extremely important that we understand the values that we bring to these different spaces and not necessarily just sort of uh, uh, teeter back and become so meek that we cannot recognize the things that we have added. If you started a system, if you suggested the staff meetings, if you suggested the new system that everybody's using all of a sudden, say that, be own that, mention that in your review, don't just gloss over it. Well, like, well, you know, it just needed to be done. No, it did not just need to be done because if it just needed to be done, the owner of the company, it would have already been there. But you saw a need for something and you spoke to it. It's just 
really important, I think, that we just recognize our value as well in these spaces. And I think that's a part of being your authentic self because if you don't recognize your authentic self and the value you add, you will undervalue yourself and you'll undervalue the other people that come to you, right? So anyway, my bad. I might have hopped on a soapbox, but that's what this space is for. It's a, it's a safe space. That's it's, for. it's a safe space. It's a safe space. Uh, <laughs> so um, do we have any questions from the audience? We're going to go. Um, I, I've got a question for you. What's your favorite, favorite episode? Heck, I don't know. <laughs> Vicky, shout out to Vicky. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. uh, state your name. Okay. Yes, I'm Lucretia Davis, and you ladies are amazing. Like, as are I'm you, boo. So much. Thank you. As are you. So I have this question for each of you guys, but um, this woman right here, she inspired me to ask it because when she opened up her dialogue, she mentioned that um, back when she worked in corporate that is when you realize that, okay, maybe I'm not going to fit in here. Maybe I'm not, this situation isn't bringing out my authentic self. So after that, you decided, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to be on this quest to finding my authentic self and um, working or having a business that aligns with that. So how did you know that you reached that goal of being your authentic self? What changed in your business or career, and how did you know that you were you were there? Me first. Yeah. Well, for me, um, I'm still getting there. But for me, um, most recently, it has been um, a sense of peace, a sense of peace with a decision, and it may not be in realization yet. Um, in a lot of ways, uh, it's not always going to be a realization right away. But for me, it's always a sense of peace, a sense of sort of um, stillness that it's like, okay, yeah, I feel good about that. You get that tingly feeling, like that literal tingly feeling, like, yeah, that. You talk about it with somebody and you get all passionate. You be like, I'm sorry. We don't really be sorry. We just be sorry that we kind of went there. But we don't really be sorry. We be like, I'm sorry. I got all excited. But don't stop doing that. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> that, that's what it was for me, a sense of peace and or what it has been for me in, 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 in very recent time. I'm still very, very young. I'll let you guess my age. <laughs> I, want, I want Christia to answer because she tossed it to me like it was a hot potato, so I really want her to answer. <laughs> so I just want you to briefly restate the question. Just yeah, yeah. Okay. So how did you know that you have birthed into that authentic self that you knew you needed to become to be successful? How do you know you were there? I mean, when, like I said, I, I didn't do no code switching. I would be on conference calls and I just have this confidence of like, I'm about to come up in here and say, come up in here and tell you what we're about to do. And I sound like a black woman, clearly. And someone, one time somebody called me after a call like we, you know, I worked at Oracle and a lot of the calls were remote. People were in different locations. And someone was like, I just had to call you after this call because I knew you was a sister when you said something. <laughs> I was like, like, 
like, it was just like, he was like, you just, it would be like, I would be on calls with these, you know, lawyers, white, white or whatever. And I just would be unapologetic. I was like, I know this. I have been doing this for a very long time. I am very good at this. And your attempts to challenge me will not, you know, they, they will not be met with a success. Like it was, so it was just like, I knew when I was able to like hear, like I just didn't feel the pressure to be one way at Oracle and one way outside of Oracle. I was just like, I am who I am. Um, I owned that I was good. I didn't apologize for the fact that I was black. And it was just like, it was working for me. And I was running my own little company on the side. But the one thing I want to say about this whole, you know, black women in entrepreneurship, it's hot. We can double click on this if someone has a question. But what I will say is, I don't want nobody going out quitting their job. Stop it. Not yet. Don't do Not, that. No, don't, don't, don't come out on, don't, don't, don't be on Monday talking Chris about you got in the spirit and quit your job because you heard this damn podcast. Nah, <laughs> let me tell you. I tell people, everybody in their kitchen making shea butter, making hair right. care products now. I'm going to tell you like it is, it takes a million dollars to make a million dollars. And even when you make yes. more than a million dollars in a year, yo, you, you, things come your way you're not even ready for, where you're paying taxes on money you ain't even got in your bank account. We just launched in Walmart, and my account is like, yeah, you need to write a check to the government for a couple hundred thousand dollars that has not even hit my bank account yet. So my point is... If you in your kitchen making shea butter, you need Chill to keep out. your day job. <laughs> you ain't and, there yet, baby. And, and, and do your shea butter at night until you get to a place. It's it's one of those things that people, the force can say speak to this. It doesn't happen overnight, and there are just unexpected challenges, but people don't understand. It take when you make a million dollars in business, you spent a million dollars. He clapping in the front row, right? You make when you spend you make a million dollars in business. You spend a million dollars just keeping the lights on. Can I? So, can I? I just want to say for the recording because the recording will not see or hear as much. LaForce, LaForce Baker is the CEO of Moon Mills, a uh, plant-based uh, uh, a food source. Uh, his wraps can be found in Jewels and Whole Foods and things. He is in the front row supporting and cheering and things. And we've mentioned his name a couple of times. So um, go ahead and Google Moon Mills and you'll find where they can be found and things like that. Especially if you're thinking about going vegan, their stuff is tasty. I've had it. I will say this. I'm not discouraging anyone from going in business, but what you need to do is your homework and know the numbers. That's it. So basically you need to know if you make a million dollars, you go you take home, you know, based on your net income, what your net margins are. Mm-hmm. If you take home 200000 and then you paying 30% to the government, yeah. like you need to know those numbers. And I didn't really know how that, that all you. worked until I was deep, deep, deep into this. And so, like I said, what we don't want is our kitchen mistresses who are making great products at home, quitting their good law job. Yeah. To go do this. We want them to do both for as long as possible and stack paper Mm -hmm. so that they can have a seamless, painless transition. We have another question from LaForce. Yeah, since since Michelle gave me the shout out, of course, (laughs) I got to ask a question. My question is a simple question. When do you feel you've made it? Never. (laughs) Okay, so that's a great question. And I saw something on Instagram because sometimes, you know, 
let's back up. So two weeks ago, I was in Paris, and it was like two weeks ago. Thank you. Two weeks ago, Kate Spade killed herself. Anthony yeah. Bourdain killed himself. They rich yeah. as hell. And you look and you be like, they done made it, but they killed themselves. So clearly having a lot of money does not solve for internal issues. And what I have started to realize is that success is not about how much money you make. It's about living your life on your own terms. And so it's not about another $5 million, another $10 million, another $50 million, because that clearly doesn't solve for the problems that people are dealing with like you're going to have problems at every level and I think our society has this 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 false belief that if I'm an entrepreneur if I make a lot of money everything will be okay and I'm like wait I'm making money and I'm like wait shit is the same as when I was at the you know what I'm saying when I was making this you got the same problems when you over here that you had over there now so, so like I said, it's just the ability to live life on your own terms. And you can do that at 30000 You yeah. can do that at $3 million, You can do that at $30 million. It's yeah. just all about perspective. For me, I say I never feel like I made it. But that's because I don't necessarily believe in the concept of making it. I'm a firm believer that as long as you're still on this earth, you still have a purpose and a point and that there's something else for you to do. Um, so for me, the, the the idea of like making it is never really have, it's just never been a goal of mine to make it per se. I might have goals and I have, might have things that I want to reach, sure, but I never will have made it, so to speak. And I'll just piggyback off that. I think it's always having a, a goal. So you want to always be striving for the next thing. So once you hit this goal, so, okay, then so what's the next thing? So that way you're always striving towards something. You never can just sit back and be, and be complacent and be comfortable. Because that's when, that's when death occurs. Shelly, I'm going to have to disagree what? with you on that. Really? Sometimes, yeah, no, I was going to disagree with you that. too. I respect because that Because that's a perfectionist I'm trait. Like, no, I respect <laughs> that because it's like, I respect that view. Yes, me too. But I want to give the alternative view, which is like, you know, we done got into Target. We got in CVS, whatever. We got into Walmart. You done made this much money. Now it's like, okay, I want to write a book. I want, And it's like, there comes a point where you're like, Why? I need to just stop and just be okay with being okay. Just be okay with just being like, like I'm not, just, just being in a space of like, you know what? I just need to be grateful for this moment and yeah. celebrate everything that I have versus what I want to have more of. Like the more, the, 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 the drive for more, the desire for more, whether it's more goals, more money, more accolades, more fans, more likes. It's just like, once we check one goal, we always off to the next one. It's like, mm-hmm. just be, for me, I'm, I'm like learning, having checked all these boxes. And I'm also learning that applies to relationships, whether you're getting married, yes, you yes. got your baby, you got your house, you still feel something's missing because we're always looking for something to fill us up versus just being like, I'm okay. It, I'm, I'm, called, I'm, that's where I am. I'm not saying, mm-hmm. like I said, I just want to offer the flip side. That's where I am personally getting to the point of realizing like, it's not about the next thing. It's about the now. It's called the hedonic treadmill. It's No, for real. It's a term. It's a psychological term. It's called the hedonic treadmill. 
hedonic treadmill. And it's sort of when you are too tied to these physical things and you sort of, you can't, it, it makes it difficult to sort of handle the ups and downs because you're constantly chasing the next thing as opposed to um, celebrating whatever it is that's happening today. And so um, for me, like I said, that's why purpose is more so connected, my, my connection as opposed to sort of making it or this sort of tangible thing. And I'm not saying that that's what you were saying, but no, what you're you know, describing is the hedonic treadmill. Okay. And by your, I was, point, um, for the recording, um, I was pointing at Christy. Okay. No, I was just I was just saying just because you have a goal doesn't mean you can't celebrate your wins. Right. I just, I just want to clarify that. I don't want to I don't I don't want people to misinterpret uh, and saying it's always on to the next, on to the next. But I just want to make sure that you also celebrate where you are, but also keep wanting more for yourself. I don't mm. think there's anything wrong with that. Hey Sid! Hi. Hi, um first <laughs> My bad, I put you on the spot. It was way I too see, much. Attention. I see, I see it's quite obvious. Thank you. Um first off I just want to say thank you so much for everything. So I wrote your book, Thank God It's Natural, when I was like eighteen, trying to go natural before it was cool. Um, my grandparents who were sharecroppers gave me a lot of crap for it. So I just wanna say thank you. And I came to your book signing a little black pearl and that was like ten years ago. So do not get weary in well-doing because it, it, it helps. And this twist out is because, thank God, I'm an actual twist and define curl cream. So thank you. Yes! Come on with the define! <laughs> thank you, sir. Yeah. So thank you. It does help because back then, when I was just entering college, it was not a thing. It was not. I didn't know what I was doing. I went to high school my whole life. Went to high college. Nobody looked like me. So keep it up. Um, and I just want to ask a question when you talk about building relationships. So on the flip side, how you had an all-black experience in Spelman. So I'm from Homewood, which is now becoming black. So it was all white. Columbia, oh, I when I went to school downtown, was 11% black. And then I went to Springfield, and I worked for the speaker, and it was all white. Let's not go there. And so even though it was progressive, but they were all still white. So my question is, like, you know, I had to build those relationships with people who don't look like me, who didn't come from my background. So my question is, how do you even kind of, I guess, I wouldn't say call out institutional racism, but at what point do you want to have those authentic conversations with those people? I've had it with some, but maybe not others. And it's kind of like, if you're like the chosen one, or like their first black friend or their first black everything, it's like, do you take it upon yourself to educate them, to help the next black person who comes into the space? or just to make them better and to make you know the policy in the office better as a whole. Mm. So at what point does that come in or do you just keep the peace for the sake of your own you know, career? For <laughs> sorry. Christy is looking at me like, you. Um, sorry, it's, sorry, it's intense, but. No, it's, you don't have to apologize. I think life is intense, right? No. So that's why you have the question, because it's your experience. Unfortunately. Um, I know, oh, oh it's it. Okay, so I think for me, it's just been being, first of all, you got to be willing to have the conversation. And I think, um, secondly, it's just literally bringing logic to the conversation because a lot of our di disagreements with regards to race are very well steeped in logic. We're very logical people. Sid, Sid is very logical. She's a very logical person. I know Sid personally. So anyway, so the way I do it is I always steep it in logic. I say, well, she said X to me, and I'm in X position, and that didn't make sense for her to say to me. Am I tripping? And I'll just say that to them. Am I tripping? And they'll say, well, no, 
I get how you could feel that way. Yeah, I felt like it was X, Y, Z. And you know, when you steep it in, this was the, this was the action. This was the, my reaction. This is why I reacted that way. And I need you to understand that. And I need you to tell me why I'm tripping. Then you put the ball in their court and you made them sort of confront their own issues with whatever the issue is. And so for me, and by them, I mean white people or non-blacks. <laughs> um, so for me, uh, or non-colored. So for me, it's been a very just, I'm just going to ask the question, basically. Uh, and if you have an answer, you have an answer. And if you don't, you don't. And that's fine. I'm fine either way. I'm not looking for an answer from you because, honestly, I probably know the answer before I ask it. That's any good attorney. So I guess that was a great question. And I had a very interesting, you know, professional experience while in corporate America. And unfortunately, I just... I was very laser focused, meaning like I focused on two things, money and dudes, like and educating white folks that were ignorant was not part of my mission or goal. And so I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that for the next black person, but I was very much like, I want to kick it and I want to make money. And you over here, you didn't say some crazy stuff. I might address it, but I, I literally was like, I had tunnel vision. I was like, I want to I want to get this company off and the that ground. That might be more effective. And I want to I want to kick it. I want to kick it and hang out and everything else does not matter to me. And so that was my personal experience. I'm not saying that was the right way, but I'm just saying because I was so laser focused, mm-hmm. it would they were not, this was not they, on my radar. They were not on they were not on my my radar and they were not one of my goals. I was like I can't invest the energy into these type of individuals. It's just, it's not, it's not, it's not, not affecting my bottom time. line. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry. So that was me personally. Hey, Toya girl. Hey, how are you? Uh, so her, hello everyone. My name is Toya Miller and I just want to ask you, um, at what year did you um, feel like you made it or how many years did it take you to reach success? Um, I'm a financial advisor in my industry statistically it takes about five years to try to figure out, you know, where you're at in your market and upstream market and things like that. Um, and so, so many times I want to give Lucretia a call and say, update my resume, you know, because my background is in Target <laughs> and corporate. Um, and so how, what year, how many years, well, better question is, what do you go to as your saving grace to make you, I mean, now you're accomplished, but before then, what did you use as like a foundation to keep you grounded, to keep you going after your dreams and not turn back to corporate America? That's a great question. I think it was just kind of like, I will say this. I think, I no, I understand. I think for me, the saving grace is that what I get out of the company that I don't get in corporate America is that I have black and brown people working for me that I'm making better, where I'm taking you from good to great, where it's like, whether it's you and your writing, you and your negotiating skills, you and your ability to analyze a business, you and your ability to go into a a retailer like Walmart, and I say, you know what, you're our intern and you're in business school, I'm going to let you take the presentation. Those are the type of wins that I don't 
get in corporate America because it's like it's not that many of us. So it's like when you look around the table and at TGIN, you see people and you're like, like I, I texted the girl who told me somebody was canceled today. I said, you know, sh she's a very much a free spirit. The ability for me as a black woman to say this other young black woman, why don't you send me your proposal about your six weeks in London for 2019? Because she likes to travel, right? So she works for me, but she likes to travel. So we always joke, hey, she's like, I just want to come over here and live. No, you're serious. You ain't joking. So I was like, you know, why don't you put it in writing and we can sit down and talk about how it meets my needs for, as a business to wants to do business in London and Paris. And it meets your needs for your desire to have the freedom to go and travel. And I think those are the wins that keep me doing what I do. It's the wins when I see somebody's writing who was like, you write like a, a fifth grader and I'm being nice and now you write like you went to college. Seeing that transformation for me is what keeps me doing what I do versus going back to corporate. It's serious situations where someone's like at the, at the gig where they're like, you know what? I didn't want to tell you this, you know, I really like, everyone comes there and they're like, I really like working here. Some people be like, I really like working here. I just want to let you know, I got something on my background. Okay, fine. Or I really like working here. I just want to let you know, you tell me this after the interview, you know, six months in or 90 days in or hundred, whatever, that, you know, you have bipolar disorder. So my thing is like, use this as an opportunity to get your life together. Like whatever that means, get on back on your medication, get right, go in your corner, do your work. Use this as a time to stabilize what is going on in your life. And I think those people who are working with me on my team, that's what keeps me going and saying, like, I need to be here versus there. Last question. From Vicky. Hey, Vicky hello. girl. Hello, hello. Um, my question is, what do you wish you knew before going into the entrepreneurial world that was like, when you know, kind of eye opening, or even just like a little tip. Oh, uh, first of all, the dress on point. Where did you get that Thank from? Thank you, Grassfields. Uh, what is that? Grassfields.com. The belt is separate. I don't remember where I got that from. Okay, but um, yeah, the belt is separate. It's a little kind of Wonder Woman belt. I don't know, but the um, the dress is from Grassfields and it's got pockets, which is life changing. Okay, yeah. be ready with the post yeah. to step out. Yeah. Come on, Vicky. So, Grassfields.com. So I think I'll just drop a couple of gems because there's not just one thing. I think the first is that it takes a million to make a million. It's surprising because people think you made a million dollars, you go go home with $700,000. No, you go home with 200000 then you go pay the government sixty. So, and then you go use that other 140 to buy inventory for the following year. So you really ain't go home with nothing. So I think the thing about the numbers, knowing the numbers going into the business. The second thing I think... I wish I would have knew is how important people are to your success. They are everything. Your culture is everything. Who you hire is everything. Being a lawyer at a major Fortune 100 company and a large law firm in Chicago, we talk about relationships, but I wasn't in charge of hiring. And so when I'm in a company, who you hire is everything. You can't hire B players. You can only hire A players because... The B players, you end up trying to coach them into A players. I don't have time when we're growing this fast to coach you. Like, you got to come ready. And so... <laughs> That's real. So you, got, you have to come ready. You have to be 
an A player out the gate. And so But you gotta be willing to pay A players. No, a but that's my point. I'm too. happy. The point is as a business owner, I realize that that you want A players on your team and you have to pay them and they make a difference. You don't wanna be coaching a C into a B or a B into an A. You wanna hire A's and pay for A's. So people are super important. I think my own um, ability to be okay with imperfection I needed to just focus on getting things done and making sure they were good enough, even though I valued excellence, so that we could move the needle. So examples of that is product development. Um, I learned along the way that, like, take consumer feedback into consideration. What you think is perfect to you, you working to make this the perfect thing at 99%. Get it to 90% and then go out there and see what consumers think and start making tweaks you can always revise along the way. But what's perfect to you is not necessarily perfect to everyone else. And then you've got to be balanced. Like, if you you got to slow down and speed up, and that's what breast cancer taught me. It was like when I took that year off to focus on my health, our sales double and the number of stores we went into quadrupled. And so thank you, thank you. So what I realized is that if I can do this when I'm on the couch going through chemotherapy, then why I got to work seven days a week when I get back on my feet? So the point is when we look at Instagram, all this grind harder, no sleep, hustle all day long. Lies. No, that's not sustainable. If you're going, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And you're not going to get to your goal or your ultimate destination working 24 seven. So building in self-care and just being okay like I said with being okay like everything ain't gotta be x I, I like excellent but you can't you don't you can't operate on all cinder, cylinders all day long so right. thank you so thank much you. thank you Christina thank you thank you guys for coming out um, thank you to our sponsors and at this time we're going to allow you to enjoy the musical stylings of DJ Double M for our reception slash day party. Um, please drink up the liquor. I don't know how much is left but please drink it up. And um, please shout out our uh, Shoulder Bear check vendor out Shoulder Bear. right over here. Check her Follow out. Follow us on Instagram. Um, let, me, let, me, let me get these social hashtags in for the recording. So um, <laughs> check us out on Facebook at Black Esquire podcast. The fellowship is a closed group within the Black Esquire podcast. I need you to join it and join the conversation. We want you to chime in. We want you to post articles. If you haven't thought, if you haven't things that you want to get off your chest, please, um, let me be clear, professionally related things um, that you want to get off your chest, please drop them in the fellowship um, and we'll talk about it and we'll sort of you know, it's like a brainstorming session, but with a bunch of smart people. So again, um, and also follow us on Instagram at Black and Square Podcast. If it's your first time listening, it is, uh, we're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and uh, Stitcher. And Christina, where can they find you on social media? Oh. Yes. Yeah, so I'm at TGIN CEO on Instagram, and you guys can follow us on the um, for the company at TGI Natural. But I will also say that we're always hiring or looking for people in marketing. So Just feel marketing, free. no attorneys. You don't need no attorneys. Kind of, nope. sort of, here and there. <laughs> but like, if you know people with a background in marketing, we're building our marketing team. And so just feel free to send their information along. And That's even though we may not be like, oh, immediately, I always have a file of people ready to go should things open up. That's exciting. Thank you for tuning in. Stay black, stay Esquire.
got you open up, girl. Hey.